Okay, um, let's stand together and we're going to read God's word with one another. Just verses one through six of Matthew chapter seven. Here we go. Do not judge others and you will not be judged for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, even some hard to understand, tough words, like the verse we just read. So we need your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, all of us, in understanding these words believing them, and putting them to practice in our life. Help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Listen, if you're new with us today, my name is Danny Panzer. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. I have the privilege of preaching in this space. Um, and we would love to know that you're with us today. We don't want to take that for granted. You can let us know that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. And you can do that right now on your device. I give you permission to do that. Uh, normally, I would say, hey, I'd love to meet you after the service, but I've already told you I'm leaving. So can't, can't do that. But we will try to connect with you at a later time. Uh, we, we, we think that's pretty important. Our mission here as a church family is to faithfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. We say that because we believe that. We believe that real life is found in knowing, believing, and following Jesus and trusting in the promises he's given us that one day he will return and restore all things. Can you not wait for that to happen? We late, wait, uh, can't wait and ache for that. But we believe it and we want to get better at living out that mission as a church family. We're glad you're here. We ask everyone to continue to worship by giving, uh, giving through this church family to join God in what he's doing in the city and in the world. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give, or um, you can fill out, we usually have some of those little envelopes. Those of you who grew up in church know what I'm talking about. Um, and you put your money in there, and then we have little bins you can deposit on your way out, if you choose to do that, if you choose to do that. It's good to be with you. These first few verses in Matthew chapter 7 are pretty straightforward to us. I mean, he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Kind of reminds you of the story Jesus told. Remember, uh, Jesus tells a story of uh, the, the, the king, the ruler who forgave his servant, who owed tons, who was indebted to him and forgave him and uh, this servant rejoiced and left the presence of this ruler only to see a neighbor who owed him a fraction of the same amount. And um, he passed judgment on that neighbor through he and his family all in, in to prison until they paid the debt back. The ruler got word of that and brought 
brought this servant back and said, is it true that after receiving grace and mercy from me, you went out and judged your neighbor because they owed you a little bit of money? He said, yeah. And the ruler says, well, you trampled my grace. And because you've trampled my grace, you'll receive the same punishment that you doled out to your neighbor. It's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Pretty straightforward. We don't want to be, we don't want to embody that kind of judgment, right? We want to be thankful recipients of the grace of mercy that he continues to give to us because of what Jesus has done. And the expectation of of Jesus is that if you've been the benefactor, beneficiary of incredible grace and mercy, then why would you not also embody that with your neighbor and your friend and your family? Live, Live that Live that out. There's an underlying assumption in all of these verses, but particularly, uh, well, just all these verses, but there's an underlying assumption here that we are involved in each other's lives, that we are engaged in each other's lives. And because of that, God really cares how we relate to one another. Uh, he, he He really thinks it matters, the kind of words that we use, um, as we speak to one another, the kind of attitudes and thoughts that we have towards one another, the things that we're looking for in each other's lives. He, he says all of that matters. How you relate and engage one another really, really, really matters. And up to this point, a lot of what Jesus has said has had that underlying assumption, right? He began with the Beatitudes saying this is the for the, for the person in the kingdom of God, these are the values and behaviors and attitudes of that kingdom person. Humility, poor in spirit. Uh, y'all know the list. And he said the result of that is this, this life of being salt and light. What Jesus has meant by that is when we live the kingdom, we bring life and light to others around us in all the places that we go. And as a church family, as we embody the kingdom of God, we bring life to people. We see things sprout. We see things happen. Well, verses 1 and 2 is the opposite of that. What we see in verses 1 and 2, Jesus describing uh, a warning against those who would not live as salt and light, but would bring judgment against their brother and sister. It's the exact opposite. Now, one of the things that we know for certain uh, with this underlying assumption that we're, we, that we're involved in engaging each other's lives, we know that to be true because that's how we were made. We were made to relate to one another, to be in harmony. Um, a, a part, it's a part of being made in God's image. When we go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 27, it's kind of what I refer to in the kids' sermon. We were made in God's image, and a part of being made in God's image is we are these relational beings. Um, we were made to connect with one another and engage one another, advocate for one another. It's, it's, it's why in, in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying for the church, all those who would believe through his apostles' testimony, he said something like this. He said, Lord, may they be one as we are one. May they bear our image in that uh, the image of God there is oneness in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
right? And he says, I want them, I want that to take shape in the life of the church too. They were made for harmony and for oneness. And it's, of course, it's in that oneness that he then promises, then the world will know that you sent me and that I loved them. Um, we become salt and light. We become salt and light. We also know that kind of harmony and unity and those kind of relationships that we were made for, um, all that changed. All that changed when Adam and Eve rejected God's wisdom and ways. Uh, they chose their own wisdom and ways, thinking that they would become like God when after the whole time they had been like God. But they bought the lie. And at that moment, when they moved towards autonomy, um, sin entered all of creation. And one of the results of that sin is, is that we moved away from harmony and became each other's accusers. Right away, both Adam and Eve pointed fingers at each other. They passed judgment. It was them. It was her. It was him. We became each other's accusers. We became judges. Our autonomy led to self-preservation and self-protection because of fear and in attempts to feel better about ourselves by making much of one another's sin. Look at their sin. That's what Jesus is addressing. He's saying you don't want to live that way. You don't want to live in a world like that. Uh, where there's just separation and judgment and pointing fingers and blame and making much of your neighbor's sin so that you can feel better about yourself in some way. He's like, that's, that's not why you were made. You weren't made for that. You don't want to be your neighbor's accuser. He gives some warnings in these verses. Verse 2, he says, For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in, judge, in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. This is way of Jesus. He's not just talking about God's response to us. Oh, you won't forgive your neighbor? You're going to judge that give final judgment to your neighbor? Well, then you've trampled my grace. You didn't receive my grace. But it, it also, Jesus is saying that when we become our neighbor's accuser, then we just perpetuate that culture of judgment. Judgment begets judgment. Um, a, a person who is constantly judgmental will likely always be on the receiving end of judgment too. It's just that that's the kind of culture that erupts out of those kind of attitudes and criticisms and complaints and it just feeds on itself like a fungus. And so Jesus warns them Judgment begets judgment. Don't, don't, don't create a culture of judgment. Now, in the first century, in the first century, they lived very much in a, a gotcha culture. The, the religious elite, not all of them, but many of them, many of their religious elite uh, had set out to purposely identify the sin in other people. Gotcha. Ooh, I caught you. And so if they had to be, they had to mind all their P's and Q's, right? Because they didn't want to be caught. Um, they didn't want to be got. 
And they, so they lived in this constant culture of judgment, worried about um, what the religious elite will think of them, not measuring up. Um, and, and Jesus, that's, that's not what you were made for. But that's the result of, of being your neighbor's accuser, is that kind of culture erupts where you're just always trying to find where your neighbor is messed up. Just be careful. So if you're like me, uh, you can read a verse like this and say, I don't judge people. I don't judge people. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a pattern in my life. I don't think it's a pattern in my life. But all of us probably still wrestle with that question, right? Do, do, am I that kind of person? Am I a gotcha person? Uh, uh, am I quick to cast blame on other people? Am I, uh, am I looking for uh, my neighbor's sin, my spouse's sin, my whatever? It's usually the people, well, it can go two ways. We, we can usually sometimes be the hardest on the people closest to us, but then it's also really easy to cast judgment of people that we don't even know. It happens both ways. But what are some ways that... Um, what are some ways that we can pass judgment on others? I, I just wrote up a very short list. Uh, one of the things that I think I can do, which I think is a form of judgment, is I don't give people the benefit of the doubt. Something has been said or not said or done or not done, and I can automatically assume that they meant the worst. This, hack, this can happen at home with, my, with Anna. Right? She asks me to do something or says something, and rather than thinking the best of that statement or that action, I can automatically just assume the worst. I don't give her the benefit of the doubt. And then I just spend the next hour or two stewing over she, why she might have said something. It's kind of a form of judgment rather than just asking. Sometimes we can judge people when we don't account where people are on their own spiritual journey. You know, remember the encounter when uh, Jesus was having dinner at a Pharisee's home? I think his name was Simon. A woman comes in. A woman comes in and washes his feet, which was peculiar in and of itself that she would just find her way in this house. But everyone around this woman, because of her status, uh, they automatically pass judgment on, on her. Um, but, but Jesus said something at the end of that. He said, you know what? People who have been forgiven much are going to be thankful for much. This woman was at a different place in her spiritual journey, in this case in her encounter with Jesus, than maybe someone else had been. And that's true of us too. There are people in our life, in our church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are not further down the road and are still wrestling to have victory over some forms of sin in their life. And it may be that we struggled with that same sin two years ago or that same temptation. But we can be quick to say, I can't believe they would do that as a Christian, when they're simply just in a different place than we are. 
Give them the benefit of the doubt. Help them rather than pass judgment on them, right? Um, we live very much in a cancel culture. I mean, we've, we have become each other's accusers, uh, whether that's politically, uh, uh, just in public life. We, we find something that someone has said or done in their past or in their present, and we write them off, right? There, there certainly is a place for really healthy accountability and justice, but we live in the kind of culture that is unredemptive, that says a person can never change. Uh, and God says, don't live that way. Don't live that way. We can, we can write up whole, whole groups of people because they're just different than us. I don't, I don't need to invest in those liberals or conservatives or whatever. You put, you put the name on the group, but we do that. We do that. We write people off because of we think their views are not what they should be. We pass judgment. We pass judgment. And even today, we live in a culture where we post all our grievances online. I mean, I, I pretty regularly, I'll, you know, once or twice a week, I'll, I'll read someone's grievance against a church or against an organization, an institution. That's their platform of passing judgment. And it doesn't mean that churches don't cause real hurt or institutions don't do something really wrong. No, they do. Uh, but embodying a, a judgmental culture as a practice doesn't bring resolution. We perpetuate judgment, which leads to further separation and heartache. No resolution or redemption. We weren't made for that. Jesus says you weren't made for that. You're called to be salt and light. As you embody the, the values and attitudes of the kingdom, you're called to bring life, not lead people to fear and shame and guilt. So mind your words. Mind the attitudes you have towards even the person on the furthest end of the spectrum. You weren't made to be your neighbor's accuser and judge. Verses three through five says this, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, what I like about that passage, again, there's this underlying assumption that we should be engaging each other's lives. There is a place for you to say, hey, can I, can I help you with that speck? There's a place for that. Jesus doesn't say, that shouldn't be a part of your relationships. Don't judge people. That's not biblical. There, there, is a, there is a place for engaging one another. We were made to engage each other's lives. Jesus doesn't say, don't meddle. In fact, he says, meddle, meddle. But you, you've got to lay some groundwork before you, you do that kind of uh, meddling in your neighbor's life. If we go back to the beginning, as I referred to in the kids' sermon, we were made to be gardeners, we were made to sow the seeds of faith and righteousness, to advocate for flourishing and fruitfulness 
in our neighbor's lives. Uh, we were made to come alongside and say, how can I help you get further down the road in this journey of faith? We were made for that. In a judgmental culture, we are, in a judgmental culture, we're not concerned with growth or victory like a gardener would be. In a judgmental culture, um, we don't use spades and shovels. In a judgmental culture, we use arrows and spears, and their destination is shame and guilt. But Jesus says you are called to be gardeners. You, You are called to engage your neighbor's life and to help them to invest in them, to use the tools of the gardening trade. But he says you've got to mind some things really that are really important first, right? He says you can't sow anything in the life of another person if you can't even see straight, which he, which he means if you're going to help someone else, you really have to take serious your own tending to your own fruitfulness. You have to really take serious your own sin. If we are going to be salt and light, which means we embody the Beatitudes, which is poor in spirit, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He says those things got to take place. And when you're poor in spirit, you take serious the sin in your life. You don't ignore the log just so you can identify the way your neighbor has messed up. He says, no, you, you take serious your own sin so that you can see well enough, you've, you've tended to your own garden well enough, it's been fruitful enough, you're just a little further down the road than your neighbor is, you can see the places where you can help them best. He says, but don't do that until you've tended to your own garden and you get serious about your own sin because until then you're just carrying around spears and arrows and not spades or shovels or watering hoses. One of, um, during, the, during the pandemic, one of the favorite shows that Anna watched, I don't know if you're gonna know this person, Monty Don, does anyone know who Monty Don is? Anyone? Y'all don't know who Monty, Monty Don is like, he was like the gardener to royalty in England. He's a really cool dude, but he has this really cool older show through the BBC where uh, he has a variety of gardening shows. But uh, Anna in particular, I, I got a kick out of him too, but I'm just enamored by this guy's experience and knowledge in gardening uh, and how he could come in and just take this dilapidated, small little English home backyard and turn it into this luscious British garden. He knew everything about the right trees and what, what should happen and where they should be placed and what they need and People trusted Monty Don because he knew what he was doing. He'd been there. He had experience. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to have the kind of relationship with your neighbor that that they can entrust themselves to you. You've developed that kind of relationship that they trust where you've been and they know that you're further down the road and you had the kind of experience to where that when they step up and make the phone call or have, pull you aside and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? I've just, I've just seen this lately. Can we talk about this? 
And you don't receive that with shame or fear. You're like, I trust you, Monty Don. I want to talk about that. That's what, that's what Jesus is getting after. He's like, don't, don't, don't be a hypocrite. Because a hypocrite is not about the business of helping and loving and the flourishing of their neighbor. The hypocrite is only trying to feel better about themselves. And they, they, they use arrows and spears. Don't do that. Take your own fruitfulness seriously, your own sin seriously. Jesus is our greatest example. We're gonna end here. Jesus is our greatest example. John chapter three, verses 16 and 17, he's having this conversation with Nicodemus who's super curious about this rabbi. He's been saying and doing stuff. In fact, he says, no one... I mean, if you're not sent from God, I don't know what's up because you're saying, teaching, and doing stuff that only someone sent from God could do. But Jesus says these things as he's engaging with with, um, Nicodemus. He says, can I just let you know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him won't, won't die won't perish, but he'll, he or she will know what real life is all about. They will have eternal life. Then he says this, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now think about this. Of all people that have walked the earth, who had more authority to cast judgment against my sin and your sin and he says, that's not, why, that's not why I came. Now one day, when he returns, he'll come as judge. But he says, when I, I came to walk these 33 years of my life, I, I came to be a gardener, to sow redemption, to help people see what the kingdom of God is really like, for people to see what God is doing, that I am indeed the Messiah through whom you can have everlasting life, salt, light. And Jesus is saying to us, if, I, if that has been my way of engaging this world, then it should be yours too. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't be quick to judge others. If you have a real grievance, sit down with them. Do you have the kind of relationships in your life where that kind of real sowing can happen? That kind of holy meddling can happen. Not many of us do. But I want you just for a moment to think about the relationships closest to you. That might be some really dear friends. It might be family. It might be colleagues. And I I want you to maybe think of maybe one or two people. And I want you to ask the Spirit of God, in what ways can I do some gardening in their life? How can I advocate for them for fruitfulness and flourishing? I trust that God will give you leadership 
to nurture that kind of relationship with trust so that you can be their greatest help in time of need. It's a different culture, isn't it? From war to gardening, Isaiah chapter 2, I'm, I'm going to really mess this verse up. It's talking about the nations, but I think it's applicable here. Uh, the verse is like this. Um, and they will take their swords and spears and turn them into plowshares and pruning hooks. I think that's what Jesus wants us to do here. He's saying, will you take the words you have used that have done harm, those judgmental, accusatory words, leave them for the the enemy, but we're called to be salt and light. Beat them down and then use them to bear fruit in your neighbor's life. Let's pray. Father, first I ask that your spirit help us to see the places in our life where we tend to be judgmental, to write people off, to not be willing to actually have a conversation with them. Uh, And Lord, help us to make those things right. And then also, Lord, help us to uh, identify people in our own life that we can advocate for. Advocate for their fruitfulness in their journey of faith, wherever that they may be on that journey. Lord, we need, we need your help. And in this world, may our church family be like Jesus, drawing people's attention to truth where freedom from sin is found and new life is discovered. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and tell.